And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's going on this morning, man? You know, it's it's uh, it's the calm after the storm. Uh, as a nod to uh, to our good friend Pablo Maurer, yesterday was a was a, a busy day, a surprising day, and I think it was. Um, you know, I think the first day that finally there was a little bit of like real consequences for a, a big story that the Athletic, Meg Linehan, and others, Steph Young, have been reporting for a long time ourselves as well um, with, with the release of the Yates report. And then finally the fallout, a portion of the fallout with the Portland Timbers and Thorns yesterday. Yeah. Uh, of course, Paul is referring to, as he mentioned, the Yates, Sally Yates investigation, former U S attorney general looking into the NWSL U S soccer federation, how they handled complaints of abuse of sexual misconduct um, and found that both entities, as well as several MLS te- NWSL teams, excuse me, uh, failed essentially to protect their players um, at many, many turns. There's some really disturbing stuff in that report um, involving Louisville, uh, Christy Holly, uh, Chicago as well. Um, but Portland is sort of at the epicenter of it. Um, and that obviously has some MLS ties. Because Portland, the Thorns, are owned by Merritt Paulson, who owns the Timbers as well. So we're going to talk a lot about that off of the top of this show. And then we're going to get into some other things more, you know, on-field related with MLS and Decision Day and Leagues Cup and some USMNT chatter as well towards the end of the show. Um, But starting with the Yates report and investigation, just giving it a little bit of background the findings came out on Monday. Um, a lot of stuff was in there that, you know, Meg and Steph and others at the Washington Post um, and elsewhere had reported. Um, and then there was a lot of new information and revelations in there as well. Um, and, you know, specific to this show and what we cover, uh, there were new revelations about Merritt Paulson and Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub. Gavin Wilkinson was the president of soccer for the Thorns and the president of soccer and GM of the Timbers. And Mike Golub was uh, the, what was he? President of business, I believe was his title for both the Thorns and the Timbers, both longtime employees of the club. Wilkinson had been there, I believe 21 years starting as a player and working his way up uh, as a coach. And then an executive Golub had been there since before the Timbers entered MLS. I think he joined in 2009 and they were found to do some, pretty bad things, both of them. (laughs) The bottom line, the headline for me anyway, was that essentially the report found that both Wilkinson and Paulson, after firing Paul Riley for cause, following a 2015 complaint from Manashim, 
into his behavior um, where she alleged that he, the head coach, sexually coerced her and another player um, into kissing after a night of drinking um, out in Portland in his apartment. Um, after doing that, after investigating that and firing him for cause, they, they essentially recommended him to two different teams, which he then went on to coach, the Western New York Flash and then the North Carolina Courage, who you know, sort of absorbed the Flash and moved them to the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, and they, by doing so, helped, I think it's fair to say, uh, Riley continued coaching in NWSL for six years after they fired him for cause and investigated his actions. Um, and that, you know, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> I don't really have the proper words to describe the context of it. Um, but essentially they acted in a way that prioritized protecting Riley over protecting the players on their own team who made these complaints and players that Riley would potentially go on and did go on to coach in the future. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, well, actually on Tuesday, Paulson announced that he, Wilkinson, and Golub would immediately remove themselves from all Thorns-related decisions until the NWSL and NWSLPA joint investigation comes out with their findings at some point later on. He said November. Meg Linhan reported that there's no schedule for releasing that yet. They're still investigating. Um, and then on Wednesday, the other shoe fell, and uh, Wilkinson and Golub were both fired. Uh, Paulson is still the owner of the Thorns and the Timbers. Um, he is still not making decisions on behalf of the Thorns. And the general counsel for the club is now the interim president of Peregrine Sports, which is the holding company that holds both the Timbers and the Thorns and is controlled by Merritt Paulson and his father, Hank, who is a lot of the money behind, <laughs> behind that organization, the former U.S. Secretary of, of the Treasury, Hank Paulson. So that's a lot to digest. This story is obviously still developing. Um, and a lot of people, Paul, have called for Merritt Paulson to sell both of his teams, the Thorns and the Timbers, uh, no longer seen as a worthy steward, um, no longer seen as a worthy representative of the city of Portland um, and its sports teams. And a lot of people want him out. Uh, Timbers Army, Rose City Riveters, and the 107ist probably not pronouncing that right. I've only ever seen that in print. I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced out loud. But um, the supporters groups for the Timbers and the Thorns um, all called for Paulson to sell the team. Becky Sauerbrunn, USWNT captain, and a Thorns defender <laughs> called for him to sell the team. Uh, Megan Rapino did the same in a press conference ahead of the USWNT's friendly at England earlier on Thursday, this morning when, when we're, we're recording here on Thursday. So Paul, I wrote a piece about this and we can lay it out. Um, actually, why don't you, you can lay it out a little bit for the people, but it doesn't seem likely that MLS certainly, probably not NWSL, will force Paulson to sell either team. Yeah, I think there are difficult hurdles that would have to be, that that stand in the way of, of such a drastic move. In MLS, it's 75% of the board of governors would have to vote to remove an owner. And we've seen across multiple sports um, that it's very difficult to get owners to vote to. This is like, it's like never happened. Yeah. It doesn't happen. You know, because they're concerned that it opens a door for them to one day be removed. It's a Pandora's and box. That's, situation. that is basically why it doesn't happen. Now we've seen other, we've seen owners in recent years sell their teams under public pressure, under situations like this. 
but it really is a decision that that owner makes um, to sell the team, to get out of that negative spotlight or to um, essentially to, to understand that they aren't going to be able to run that business the way they were before. As you wrote in your column, you know, Delaware Hanson is an example of that with, with Real Salt Lake. Um, you know, when after our report with the athletic, um, you know, there was a, a, a ton of public pressure, a ton of pressure from the sponsors of Real Salt Lake for him to sell. And he announced within days of that report that he would, he, he you know, three has, days later, actually. three days later, he has, he has uh, businesses in Salt Lake city that he runs besides the, the soccer teams that he had. And he just felt like it was, it was, you know, a, a smarter and better move for him to get out. Right. Um, According to people who I spoke to, he basically right. was like, you know what, this isn't going to be fun for me anymore because of this. And so I'm just going to go ahead and cash out and right. remove, just remove the headache and go, he's older, you know, he can go off kind of into a more retirement lifestyle or work on his other businesses. Merritt Paulson, not necessarily in the same kind of situation. And, and Merritt Paulson is also a much more active owner. Um, than than Hansen was was, Anson at, was active at least on a, club, on a league on a league club. wide yeah. basis. I mean, Paulson is is much more the face of the club. Mm-hmm. Deloitte was certainly involved, active there, present yeah. in the offices, making sure his presence was felt. Um, I think Merritt Paulson publicly has been way more visible and I mean, probably the most visible owner in both leagues. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's that's fair. Yeah. And and certainly has been active behind the scenes. He's part of the product strategy committee, which is one of the most important committees in Major League Soccer because of its impact on the on-field product. And and frankly, Sam, as you said, it's unlikely that they would get the seventy-five percent threshold. I think it's, I, I just don't think it would happen at all. Yeah, I think unlikely is maybe even underselling it a little bit. I mean, I would be surprised if they even voted. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and here's and and if we were, I don't think that we're being. That, that, that's jumping to any crazy conclusion because here's the, the statement that Don Garber put out yesterday. Uh, it's in your article as well. Uh, as a member of the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors, I fully support the investi- fully supported the investigation by Sally Yates into the abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in the NWSL and the report's recommendations. The report's details of trauma and abuse suffered by the players at the NWSL over such an extended period are sobering, deeply troubling, and intolerable. The findings in the report made clear that there are elements of the soccer system that are broken and in need of urgent repair. We are committed to working with the soccer community to address the issues and recommendations raised by the report. And here's the key part about this discussion, Sam. I've been in communication with Merritt Paulson and support his decision to terminate the employment of the top two executives with the Timbers and Thorns, assign General Counsel Heather Davis as interim president of Peregrine Sports, and remove himself from the operations of Thorns FC. I believe these are appropriate initial steps for their organization, their community, and the sport of soccer. The two things stood out to me from that statement. The first being that he's been in communication with Merritt Paulson about these this decision making process. Mm-hmm. And and the second that it was, you know, again specific to the thorns and not to the timbers. Right. Um, and I think that is indicative of the fact that, you know, there is a belief within the MLS circles that this can be compartmentalized to the NWSL and thus not impact Merritt Paulson's standing in major league mm-hmm. soccer. Yeah. And, and that's significant. Yeah. And I think that's, a, I think eventually Paul and we can, well, there's a lot more to talk about before this saga ends, but I think eventually my guess, and this is just like, I would say mostly speculation, educated speculation, if you want to call it that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Paulson ends up selling the thorns 
but I would be surprised if he keeps the tim if he ends up selling the timbers. I think he will keep the timbers. Um, we've seen some sponsor pressure already. Um, Nike, Alaska Airlines, Tillamook Cheese uh, issuing statements um, expressing their concern. Tillamook, I think, was went the farthest. Um, basically being like, unless there's real changes, we're going to, you know, not continue our sponsorship with the team whenever their current deal expires. Uh, so that's something, obviously there's a lot of fan pressure and play, player pressure. We've, we've already talked about that, but those are the only real levers for, you know, to, to get change, to make change happen here. Right. It's it, the leagues. I don't think are going to do anything because of how they're structured. The owners have the power. Don Garber can't go out and kick Merritt Paulson out of, of MLS. He can't. It's not within his purview. He can suspend him indefinitely. He can fine him up to a million dollars, but he can't kick him out of the league. And so, all right, if the fans stop showing up en masse and, and, and the sponsors all pull out and you no longer have any revenue, then that would be a problem for Paulson and he would probably need to sell. Is that going to happen? Mm, I'm not so sure. And and then, you know, the other part is is the player part. And this is where it gets tricky, man, because it's like, yeah, the player, what can the players do? They can make their statements, but what are, what are they going to do? Refuse to take the fields? Not get paid? These are their careers. It's not fair for them to be the ones that have to carry this burden. It's not fair for – it should be the league. It should be the governing body, U.S. soccer. But they don't, they don't have the power or they don't have the stomach to do it. You know, the other owners aren't going to vote this guy out. I'm convinced right. of that. Well, well, Sam, it's it's notable what you said. There, there are limits to Don Garber's power in, in terms of what he can do to Merritt Paulson. The question is, what will he do, if anything? Um, we know that we've seen him. He, he levied the biggest fine in league history to an owner, to Jorge Mas, for cheating the roster rules, $250,000. Yeah. Um, amongst other penalties for that club. Um and, and here we have an instance of, of clear misconduct by an owner. Mm-hmm. Certainly you could say that his actions and, and the, the, um, the news around it have, have caused issues for Major League Soccer, right? Have, have been detrimental to the league um, as an owner of the league. And, and yet we, you know, I don't know that he will use any of his powers. Uh, we, we certainly haven't, you know, he, I don't want to jump to that conclusion that he won't because it did said that this is a good initial step, um, which would be indicative of the fact that there may be more to come. But I I go back again to that first statement that Don Garber made when he was asked about the Andy Polo scandal, where they (laughs) seem Which we haven't even talked about yet. Right. right. And, and where, where they didn't report um, Andy Polo's domestic um, violence uh, report to allegations against him, him, um, an incident where they were present and they didn't report it to the league. They were fined, what was it, Sam? $25,000. $25,000 for that? Because it was found by a law firm that has worked extensively with MLS on past business deals, including the Timbers expansion agreement back in the day. Right. Um, that, yeah, they didn't report it, but they didn't do so out of an intent to cover up. They did it basically because they didn't know the rules and they were incompetent. Right. Which the, the I, I didn't mean, know I couldn't do that defense. I mean, which... like, honestly, like, all right, that's what they found. But, like, let me just paint a picture of how things work in MLS front offices. Every press release that a team sends out has to be approved by the league. Like that's the level of granularity that MLS teams deal with when it comes to the league office. For a club to think that 
an allegation of domestic violence against one of their players wouldn't need to be reported to the league. It um, it strains credulity to say that. And, and with a general manager who had been involved with that team since they entered the league. And with an owner who is super involved in league matters. Right. And it goes back again to the first the quote, again, from Don Garber. In the midst of three investigations, the Andy Polo investigation, the Yates investigation, and the NWSL and the NWSLPA investigation, yeah. his quote was, I have great faith in the Paulson family. Hank Paulson could be the most involved MLS board member, and I have enormous faith and confidence in Merritt Paulson, who's built from scratch one of the great sports teams in any sport in our country, if not throughout North America. I know that he's very passionate about his teams, both the Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns, and is going to cooperate in anything that is being reviewed. That is in the midst of three investigations. It was back in full, February. A full-throated yeah. defense or endorsement of Merritt Paulson and Hank Paulson as owners in Major League Soccer. Yeah. So I, I think that's a pretty good indicator of where this is going. I, yeah. I don't think it's unfair to, to take that quote as I did in February, which is that the league is making it clear that they're standing behind the Paulson family in this. And... Until we see anything different, that's how I'm going to feel about this. Yeah. You know, not only that there that there wouldn't be 75% support, but that there probably, like you said, wouldn't even be a vote. And I don't know. I, I will be interested to see whether Don Garber uses his power as an owner, a, as the commissioner, to to suspend or fine Merritt Paulson for his role in these issues that yeah. that extend, yes, you know, incredibly deeply into the NWSL side but have also been problematic in the MLS side, though I'm sure he'll say that they've already been punished for, for what happened with Andy Polo. Yeah. I think that that certainly it warrants asking the question of whether or not, you know, what what's happening in Portland is worthy of the commissioner utilizing his powers. To me, Paul, this is it's just become a, a very clear and very consistent pattern with Paulson and the Timbers and the Thorns. We can take this all the way back. They fired Paul Riley for cause after that 2015 complaint. Um, they then, according to the Sally Yates report, through Gavin Wilkinson, essentially recommended hiring him to the Western New York Flash just a few months after they fired him. And to be clear, that's from the recolle recollections of the then commissioner of the NWSL. No, no. Flash, that, right? the, the part about, about in a heartbeat, that quote is according to a secondhand recollection of plush. The part about the put the player in the bad position, that's according to a secondhand. Wilkinson himself said in the investigation that, yeah, like I, I messaged that like I would hire Riley. Like the, he did this several months after they fired the guy. A year later, Steve Malik buys the Western New York Flash, moves him to North Carolina, rebrands his North Carolina Courage. He and one of his executives, start doing their diligence on Riley to see if they want to bring him with the team to North Carolina. One of the things that they do is call up Merritt Paulson. Steve Malik has a conversation with him. Uh, there was Paulson, according to Malik in the investigation says that, yeah, there was an incident, but it was basically a case of bad judgment and you know, it's all good. Like, let's not worry about it too much. Paulson tells him, according to Malik that, Riley would be a quote good fit for North Carolina and their roster, um, and and eventually the the courage the courage hire Riley. Um, at no point in the in either of these conversations did Wilkinson or Paulson 
according to the people that were on the other side of them, tell the Flash Western New York or the Courage that Riley was fired for cause. And the, and the Thorns, importantly, they did fire him for cause, but their public messaging was that his contract expired and thank you, Paul, and we're going our separate ways and et cetera, et cetera. So no one knew that he was fired for cause. U.S. Soccer knew, NWSL knew. They also didn't tell anybody. Um, they failed in this as well. But it's just like the the constant obscuring of what actually happened, um, the recommending of Riley. And then if you want to fast forward it, you go to the polo situation, right? And what happened there? And they knew about that incident the day that it happened, hours, minutes after it happened. They had representatives from the club at Polo's house where the alleged incident took place. They didn't tell anybody. This happened in May 2021. In December 2021, they, they, they picked up the option on Polo's contract for the 2022 season. He was training with them in preseason. Oh, excuse me, I'm knocking things over. He was training with them in preseason. Then his former partner, Genesis Alarcon, made her allegations public on Peruvian television. And only at that point did the Timbers wave Polo. They caught him, they released him, they paid him out. So they were going to continue with him for this season. Wilkinson later came out and said that the only reason they picked up his option was so that they could maybe trade him within MLS. So they were maybe going to trade this guy to another MLS team without informing anybody of what happened, of the incident. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? You continue to double down on this. And then, Paul... We haven't even gotten to this part yet, but what we reported yesterday, as this was going on, at some point in 2022, as the investigations are unfolding, the Yates investigation, the NWSL, NWSLPA investigation, probably the Timber's own internal review, maybe this polo stuff, we don't know exactly on the timing. Wilkinson was extended. He got a new contract from Paulson and the club. And, you know, I mean... Maybe you can help me out with some of the details. That contract wasn't going to kick in until 2023, and it included morals clauses, according to a club spokesperson, that allowed the Timbers and Thorns to get out of it in case something came up in the investigation, like has happened, that they could that they could remove Wilkinson without you know any penalty to the club. But like, what is the point of even giving him the new deal in the first place? Yeah, it's that, ridiculous. That, that for me is what stood out. Is like it's great that that you put in protection to the morals clauses. You didn't need to, to offer an extension in the midst no. of these investigations. You didn't. And, and you know, it doesn't matter whether other staff members in this, the sporting department are, are getting extensions. And typically the way it works in the sports world is if you're giving people that are kind of the lower down the totem pole or underneath the umbrella of a sporting director extensions, you usually like the sporting director to have a contract that, that – sure syncs up with or is longer than the people that, person that he is. is the, that, that person's the boss. Yeah. Right. But this is not a normal circumstance. Right. The decorum, the normalities of contracts and the way sporting departments work, out the window, man. They're out the window. This was It was inappropriate to give an extension, regardless of what clauses were in that extension, regardless of when it kicked in. That is still a, an endorsement of that person. Yeah. as an employee of the organization. And by the way, the Timbers and the Thorns and Paulson, they were waiting for the investigation. They protected themselves contractually against that with this extension, but they knew what went down. Mm -hmm. They knew. Right. Like we didn't, right? The investigation didn't. The investigation found out, 
Paulson and Wilkinson and others were in the middle of this. They knew what happened. So it's just a case of, okay, what are these people going to find out? You know, I just keep coming back to this question of like, I just can't fathom why. Like, why would you do this yeah. for this coach? Like, ultimately, it comes back to that. Why are you putting your words and your reputation behind a coach who was who clearly doing bad things to people? Yeah. And instead of protecting your players, protecting these women who were being harassed, not only do you, okay, you fired him, fine, but why would you then take it upon yourself to give a positive endorsement. Like what is the gain for you in, in keeping his career alive? Like, I, I, I don't understand it's... why you would think that that's something that you would even like, it's just unfathomable to unfathomable to me that it's because they didn't think that their careers would ever have a, a blowback from this. That's well, why, right? I, I, well, no, like, I think, I think I know, I think why to me, the only rational explanation for why is they didn't believe Monashim. They had to fire Riley because they had to cover their asses legally, right? Back in 2015. But they didn't believe her. If they but, believed her, then then they wouldn't have caped up for Riley like they did in the future. If you acknowledge that an incident occurred at an apartment with, with the coach and players drinking and a kissing incident, then you acknowledge that that incident occurred. And at that point, at bare minimum, you should be looking at this thinking, I, as an owner of a club... With the power that I have, why would I spend my capital of, you know, endorsing people on this person? It makes no sense. I like yeah. it, it. The all arrogance the of bottom, it is, is stunning. Like, yeah. let alone. I mean, obviously, there is a right and a wrong thing to do. And they did the wrong thing. Like, it's not like right. a gray area. Like, it was like a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. And they did the wrong thing multiple times. But I cannot for the life of me, just even like try to like, Oh, like what were they? No, like there's no reason, rational, good reason for them to act the way they acted. It was the, they, they, they took the wrong path on multiple occasions and now they're, they're, we're starting to see some fallout. But what, what I, what I'm left with is after yesterday's actions, Gavin Wilkinson's role in this is quite similar to Merritt Paulson's in the sense of the endorsements of this coach after he left. And if, if what he did is enough to fire him, then why should Merritt Paulson be, be immune from any sort of discipline or, or he shouldn't problems. And, and he shouldn't. And, and that's where I come back to whatever powers the NWSL has, whatever powers that MLS has to execute some level of punishment. Okay. They might not be able to take the team away, but that doesn't mean that they can't do anything or that they shouldn't do anything. Mm. I, 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 and, and by the way, Don Garber has been on the board of us soccer for 13 years. Yeah. So he was involved in us soccer, like enough to know some of this as well. Right. These Maybe. investigations are, are, are playing out. Not, yeah. not, I'm not even talking about like with the incidents that are in the investigation. He's okay. been, he understands that these, he's been a part, like he said, of endorsing yes. the Sally Yates investigation hiring her at U.S. Soccer, finding out what went wrong in NWSL. Like, I, I think that as somebody who is in that place of power within U.S. Soccer, that there is a responsibility that falls on Don Garber to acknowledge that somebody who is an owner of both a Thorns team and a Timbers team 
that your actions with the thorns inevitably, and whether you like it or not, reflect on your, your ownership of the timber. It's the same organization. It's the same organization. And so yeah. it's not enough so far. What, what's happened with Mayor Paulson is not enough. And I yeah. think there is a responsibility that falls on the commissioner of both leagues to do something. They might, again, they, their, their powers are limited here, but yeah. that doesn't mean that they have no power. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, I, I'm waiting to see what they'll do. Paul, I, I want to, maybe we can close on this question and we can both answer it. Um, Bill Oram, a former colleague of ours, the athletic, a guy that actually both of us have randomly known for a long time. Um, he is now the main sports columnist at the Oregonian, the paper in Portland. And he's written, I think a couple of pieces now calling for Paulson to sell both of the teams. Um, should that happen? Will it happen? Should it happen? Yes. Will it happen? No. I don't think he'll sell both teams. You think he'll sell one? I don't know. I, with the NWSL, I don't know. Their governance structure is different. The, the amount of pressure that's there could be different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it all hinges on kind of what the um, fallout is with the fans, the supporters, whether we see empty stadiums, things that really start to hit the pocket and really start to show that the community is not going to support his ownership. I think if, if they're really, if there were suddenly were like empty stadiums, then I think there's a good chance, but much better chance. Well, I don't think he can sustain it. Economically right. If right. So I, I think it falls down to that. I just, um, MLS is structured in a way to protect him a little bit from that, mm-hmm. you know, but NWSL, not so much. So my gut just says no, because I, I just don't have faith in the system working the way it should. Um, but, you know, I, I also don't want to count out what the Portland fans are capable of because we've yep. seen the power of that <laughs> of that supporters group on multiple yeah. occasions. By the way, speaking of, this is one thought that I haven't really been able to shake and it's very tangential to all of this. But I am, I know, or I don't know, I have a very strong feeling that Merritt Paulson is super, super thankful that it looks like the Timbers aren't going to host any playoff games. Most likely. The Thorns are going to host one. A semifinal on October 23rd against an opponent to be determined. Um, Very interested to see what the crowd looks like, what kind of protests happen. I'm sure they will be significant and and poignant, probably. Um, But yeah, I've been thinking about the should and will question quite a bit as well. I think most people can agree that like in a right and just universe, yes, Merritt Paulson should sell both of these teams. Um, If you view sports teams as like, you know, a fabric of a community and a community trust, then, and you view an owner as a steward, right. And somebody who's a caretaker and, and should be a positive representative um, for those teams and for the city and should try and match their values to positive values that the city tries to portray, um, then Paulson has failed on that front um, pretty irrefutably. And I think that stain will stay with him permanently. Um, and so if that's the measure you want to use, then then uh, yeah, I think he should sell. Um, he failed to protect women's professional soccer players. You know, he disavowed a culture of silence in one of his statements. He contributed significantly 
to that culture of silence. He was a huge perpetrator of it. In fact. They also interfered in the investigation, which they also which interfered, is, which is again, perpetrating. It's the same idea, the culture mm-hmm. of silence, the idea of like, no, we're not going to help you. We're not going to participate. It's the same thing. Yeah. He basically acted in ways, like I said earlier, that prioritized protecting Paul Riley and himself over protecting the people who were accusing Paul Riley of abusive behavior against them. And that that isn't good enough. It shouldn't be good enough. Unfortunately, as we all know, should has nothing to do with it. It's not a question of that. And like we were talking about, Hansen, Robert Sarver with the Phoenix Suns and Mercury, who just announced his intention to sell the teams after a scandal where he was using found to be using racist and sexist language in front of team employees. Um, they're older. They built their own business empires. You know, they have other things in their life that maybe they can fall back on. Um, Paulson, this like to me, if I'm just sitting here in, in my office, it seems like a large part of his identity is is tied up in running the Timbers and the Thorns. He's CEO of both teams. Um, he doesn't. He didn't build his own business. He built you know what the Timbers and the Thorns have turned into. He helped provide the platform for that, but. You know, he's younger than them. Presumably he'll want to go do something with the remainder of his time. I don't see him. I mean, he's famously combative and headstrong. Like, I don't see him giving up the Timbers. Maybe the Thorns because the position just might be untenable from a player standpoint. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he sold that team. But I don't think there's really any chance he gives up the Timbers, barring a massive fan and sponsor response. Yeah. I mean, it, I grew up in the DC area and I, I was a huge fan of the NFL team there as a, as a kid. The um, commies. And when I got hired at the, at the Washington post, I, I kind of, you know, you see behind the curtain, right. And you start to see the way a club, a, a franchise is operated. And it, I, I feel fortunate now that I, that it took away my fandom that early in the process. But I look at that team, the commanders as they're known now as a good example, like there's a, like people that believe that, Oh, you know, this will blow over. I just got to get through the first year or two of the backlash and it might be bad for a while, but then it'll get better. And to that, I say, go look at Dan Snyder and the commanders. It is possible for an owner to lose a fan base and to lose a fan base to such a high degree that one of the most historic and successful franchises in the NFL with one of the most loyal fan bases in the league can turn into what what that's turned into where they can't sell tickets to their own stadium, constantly flooded by by fans of opposing teams. Their revenue is dropping. The interest in the team is dropping. The success of the team has been pretty much non-existent. And it all traces back to the owner. And the culture that he ran and the, the constant stream of negative news from his actions and the fact that the, the fan bases have said, enough. No more. We're done with this guy. And we're not going to support him financially. We're not going to show up to these games. We're not going to be a part of this anymore. If it can happen to that team, to that a franchise with that much history and that proud of a fan base, it can happen to the Timbers very easily. And so I, I think this idea that, oh, even if I don't know that they're having these conversations, but I would guess that they are of, OK, can can this be sustained? If you're Merritt Paulson, you think, can we get through this as an ownership group? Like I, I believe that the fallout in Portland could be very similar to the kind of long-term fallout in Washington, D.C. and the negative effects. Like I, I think that sometimes 
the negativity towards an owner becomes eventually a part of the identity of the club. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I think it could go if he doesn't sell. So I think it, you're right. But I would also say that Dan Snyder still owns the team and the team is still wildly profitable. So yeah, when they're you're wildly about profitable this, because they're in the NFL, because they're, they're not, in the not NFL. from their own revenue stream. But when, when you're talking about sustaining, right? Like that's still sustaining. And, you know, we'll see. I think end of the day, this is just going to come down most likely to Paulson's tolerance for public pressure. And we'll see. Yeah. Can't argue it. All right. Well, Paul, this has been a pretty long opening segment. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some on-field happenings in Major League Soccer. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, it's my favorite time of the year. Decision Day is this weekend. Uh, we saw some games on Wednesday night in MLS. Uh, this really is the best time of the MLS season by a lot. The games take on some added punch and energy, and the chaos starts to go to extreme levels. We saw that in Charlotte on Wednesday night for sure um, with how that game played out against Columbus. Uh, a restarted, a, a game that had to be abandoned because of weather restarted in, what was it, like the 15th minute? <laughs> so that's kind of bizarre. When, anytime a game restarts months after it was initially played with a dropped ball. Um, and then we saw a goal from basically midfield from Lucas Zellerayan r- immediately after Ben Bender of Charlotte tried to score from midfield. <laughs> it was very MLS chaos. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Um, and then, you know, Columbus drops more points in second half stoppage time like they've been doing all season. Um, there are five teams clinched in both conferences for the playoffs, two spots up for grabs in both and three teams still alive in the East Cincinnati in sixth. They're in the driver's seat. They play at DC United on Sunday, last place in the league, DC United, and then Columbus and Orlando um, fighting in seventh and eighth. They play each other, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but wait, the schedule gods have smiled upon us even further. West also five teams have clinched their playoff berths. Um, four teams fighting for the final two spots. Those four teams play each other on Sunday. Portland in sixth plays at eighth place Salt Lake. Seventh place Minnesota plays against ninth place Vancouver. For those teams, um, if Salt Lake wins, they are in. Um, that That is a fact. Obviously, Portland has a lot going on right now off the field. We'll see if that manifests at all on the field for the Timbers. Um, and then Minnesota and Vancouver duking it out as well. So a lot on the line. Um, Miami has clinched a spot in the playoffs by absolutely throttling Orlando on Wednesday night. They also got a goal from basically midfield from Leo Campana early in the game. Iguain in his swan song, um, or as he begins his swan song um, towards retirement, he cannot stop scoring. 
Um, you know, the guy was absolutely crap for two years in MLS almost. And, and over the last couple of months, he's been maybe the best player in the entire league. So I, I don't know. A lot's happening, Paul. I mean, the Iguain thing is like one of my favorite things because it's like this guy was like an anchor on the club. He came oh, in. He was bad disaster. for the culture. He, you know, the way he played, the way he acted towards other teammates, like it, it messed with Pizarro. He couldn't, he wasn't really producing. He was dropping super deep to get on the ball and he wasn't getting close to the goal, which is what they signed him to do to score goals. He and wasn't, just he looked, wasn't trying. Let's just say just it. he wasn't trying. He wasn't yeah. trying. And then the moment he decided to just be good to be like, Oh, I am better than all of you. Yeah. My career has shown that. And here I will show you that I am still better than all of you. And, and he's basically taken the team to the playoffs. It's it's like incredible. It's like, how do you judge a player like that if you're an MLS team? Like, how do you say, like, now when you're evaluating, like, signing older stars, like, that is, like, it is, like, the perfect summation of, like, what you you go through. Like, you could have bad Higuain. Well, you might sign good Higuain. Like, there's <laughs> a pretty big difference between the two. It's crazy. I mean, I remember writing and talking about this when they first signed him. And it's like, if he's engaged, he will be incredible and score a ton of goals. And he was not engaged for a year and three quarters. And since he decided, I don't know if he made up his mind, okay, I'm retiring. Let's go out with a bang. Or what happened if Phil Neville decided to get the most out of him and he listened to Phil Neville? Whatever happened, he's got seven goals in his last five matches. You can wind that back further. The stats are equally impressive. Um, he's been fantastic. And Miami, a team that I think both of us picked to finish near the bottom of the Eastern Conference, um, have a shot at a home game in the playoffs and a top four seed. So credit to them, man. Dealing with the sanctions, um, all the nonsense that they've had to go through, massive, massive, massive roster turnover. Uh, they've been on a really good run here. So credit to Phil Neville, credit to Chris Henderson. Credits the players. Um, we'll see if they can make some noise in the playoffs, but a fun story for now. Yeah, I'm so interested to see what happens with Miami this offseason after all of this, right? I mean, like, like the, I think Phil Neville's out of contract. I think, you know, what happens with they're gonna have three? They're going to have three DP spots. They're going to have three DP spots. Like, like, my thing is, like, I just don't, I just, I'm just interested to see. Yeah. I mean, it could be madness again. Like, the ownership group has not been like the calmest ownership group in major league soccer. History. No, but that's fine. Embrace the chaos. They've it's been a good very story. Miami. It's they haven't been a Miami. great organization, but they've been a great story. <laughs> that's true. They're, they're one of those stories like Atlanta. They just keep on doing stuff to make you want to talk about them. Paul, is Caleb Porter going to have a job in two weeks? Ooh, Sam, you're coming out just throwing fireballs at me. I just wasn't prepared for that at all. <laughs> My God. Um, well, he, I, it depends on the willingness of the ownership group in Columbus to uh, pay a million dollars for someone not to coach them. I mean, they've done it before. I mean, I know that they clearly don't really care about paying, you know, guaranteed money to people for, you know, willy nilly. Obviously, if you look at their NFL team and um, how much money <laughs> they. Let's be careful about drawing Deshaun Watson comparisons to anyone. I'm not drawing. I'm just saying they have a lot of money. They, they have a lot of money. Yes. A million dollars to them is not not so much. So you yeah. look at the contracts in the NFL, a million dollars is literally 
like 150 over the league minimum in the NFL. So yeah. for like a guy with like two years of experience. Um, so it's not a lot. But uh, so answer the question. I would say that if if Columbus misses the playoffs, no. Yeah, I think he's out if the crew missed the playoffs. I think even if they make the playoffs, he might be gone. I, I would agree that there is a chance he is gone if they make the playoffs. But I do think that it then comes down to that question of like, you know, do we eat the, like he, he's won an MLS cup? Do we eat the million bucks? Do we just go into next year with him as a coach one more year? I, I think it becomes a much different conversation, but if they miss the playoffs, I think he's out. They have a lot of good players on that team and sure. they've mostly underperformed. I would say yeah, I would agree during quarters too. time in charge, obviously they won MLS cup. They, they didn't have a particularly good regular season that year. No. Um, so I don't know. Big decisions to be made out there. Orlando. Wait, 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 wait. Orlando. What's your prediction? Does he have a job in two weeks? Oh, I say. I say if 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 they miss the playoffs, no. And you know if they make it and lose in the first round, I think also no. Okay. And then if they win a playoff game, I think I think he keeps it. How All about right. that? All right. I spelled it. Is that, is that spelled out enough? It was spelled you? out too much for both of us. Neither of us are willing to just give a yes or no because it's 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 more well, nuanced. It's conditional. That. It's, it's a, yeah. You know. Sure. Um, <laughs> Charlotte eliminated. Um, Charlotte, much better season than either of us thought they would have. Credit to Zoran Kurnata and the team they put together down there. I mean, 42 points, Paul, minus six goal differential, a totally, totally respectable expansion season. Totally respectable expansion season. Like, they, they've they've got some flexibility this winter. Of course, you know, we've talked about it on the show. We didn't agree with all the moves that they made. Um, but at the end of the day, they they did all right, and they deserve some credit for that. Um, Cincinnati, we haven't talked about much on this show, but I think one of the better stories in the league, honestly. Um, they have a chance for their first playoff appearance with a result against DC United, um, which you know should be a given, you would think. But knowing what MLS is like, they'll probably lose and miss the playoffs. Like finally, finally, don't have the wooden spoon. It would be. The worst thing if the wooden spoon team <laughs> beats them cursed. and knocks them out. They, they, there's still a wooden spoon narrative to this story. Oh. Because that would be just like so cruel. And I think it actually would be cruel for the job that Chris Albright has done, Pat Noonan Pat has Noonan. done yeah. in, in one year in Cincinnati. I, I uh, when I spoke to Jim Curtin for Allocation Disorder One B One, he said like, "Hey, like this is the beginning of what you're going to see there." Like he he has a lot of faith in his guys. Slightly biased. Building. Um, not slightly biased, like very biased. <laughs> and he said so. But I agree with him. I, I think it's just like a very, very much quicker ascension to a playoff spot than I would have anticipated. And I think they're probably going to have some money to burn this offseason, depending on moves that they can make. So, you know, they they might be able to upgrade. Obviously, defensively, they haven't been very good this season. Um, so I would expect them to make some upgrades on that back line for sure. Um, what game are you most looking forward to? Columbus, Orlando? Your hometown team, man, got smashed last night. I mean, you got to be looking forward to Columbus, Orlando for multiple reasons. I mean, two of two coaches who have had a lot of success in MLS battling for a playoff spot on the line. Orlando coming off of a just brutal loss to a rival. Columbus unable to hold a lead again, also against a rival. Like, there's going to be – I think it's going to get ugly early. I think it's going to be just a brutal, like physical game where it's going to be in the swamp, like totally just scrapping with each other. I picked Orlando to win MLS Cup. 
So I, <laughs> I, I got stakes here. I got, I got stakes uh, in this game. I don't even, did I pick Atlanta to win MLS Cup? I picked them to win the Shield. Yeah, I think you might have. I think maybe I picked Seattle to win MLS Cup. We can't have both of our MLS Cup winning teams miss Jesus. the playoffs. So We're we need Orlando to get in for the sake of this podcast. We should be totally embarrassed. I'm always embarrassed of our, of our MLS prediction show. That's just standard. But if both of our MLS Cup winning teams miss the playoffs, it's a new low. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, all right. Well, decision day will be fun. Well, um, wait, wait. Before um, we go, yeah. Sam, let's, let's, let's double down here. <laughs> who makes the playoffs in the East out of the teams that are alive and who makes the playoffs in the West? All right, let me pull up the standings. Keeping in mind, back. listeners, that both of our MLS Cup winning teams are probably going to miss the playoffs. <laughs> I don't even remember who I picked for MLS Cup. I don't remember who you picked either, but if it was Seattle or Atlanta, they both missed the playoffs. Yes, so. they sure did. <laughs> um, I think Cincinnati will make it in yeah. the East, and I think Columbus will find a way. I think they'll draw at Orlando, and they'll sneak in. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Cincinnati and the crew in the East and then in the West, oof, you know, I think Salt Lake, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to beat the Timbers. So they will be in and then it'll come down to Minnesota and the caps, the plucky Vanny Sartinis, the fighting Vanny Sartinis. <laughs> Can't believe we're here. Negative 15 goal difference. And they're, they're just right there in the hunt for the playoff spot. I, I think Minnesota game. will win that game at home against Vancouver. Uh, so they will finish with 48 salt Lake would then have 47 Portland and Vancouver outside looking in. How about you? Yeah. And depending on what happens in other games, 48 points could, could push Minnesota all the way up to the, to a home game. Yeah. All the way up to fourth. Yeah. yeah. Potentially. Um, I, I, I've got, uh, you know what? I, I like your picks I, in the West. I, I think Minnesota wins. And I, I do think RSL, like it's very typical RSL to do this right now. Like this is what they do every year, right? Right around playoff time. They start beating like giant slayers. I mean, they haven't run. really. This is this is what this is Pablo Mastro anytime. That's like they haven't won a game in like a month. I it's don't think Pablo really Mastro anytime. Right now. <laughs> that's that. That's what they want you to think. That's what they want you to think. But last well, that, year no, they did this. That's what happened. <laughs> no, I'm saying like like in the round playoff time they go on runs. Now it's here. It is. They starting a little later than usual. Literally, their last win was in August. Don't worry about that. RSL is going to win. They're due. Okay, and. Minnesota's gonna win, and then I, I, I obviously I got to back Orlando. They're my MLS Cup winners, so they're definitely gonna get obviously. in. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, and uh, I, I think Cincinnati gets it done as well. So I got Cincinnati, or did we pick the same? No, you have no. Columbus. I picked Columbus. Cincinnati, Orlando, uh, RSL, and Minnesota. Minnesota. All right. By the way, RSL such a weird team. What a weird organization. They haven't put the money in yet. The new owners into that roster. Um, lowest payroll in the league, I think still um and here they are yet again one year after making the western conference final as a team with no owner um they I'm might think in the playoffs it's so, rsl time baby it, it is just one of probably the strangest organization in all of mls to this day um paul it, uh, this isn't the only mls news that's going on and i need to grab my notebook that i knocked over as you heard early in the show um one second moving out of the picture we're back league's cup format has been announced and i need to grab my notebook 
because it is complicated. Bear with me for a second. <laughs> of course it is. Why <laughs> um, would it not be complicated? So, so I'm just going to run this down and then I, I want to get your thoughts. So, you know, just buckle up for the next couple of minutes, listeners. It's going to take a while. Um, 30, excuse me, 47 teams from MLS and Liga MX participating in the League's Cup next summer. It will begin on July 21st. It will end on August 19th. Both leagues, of course, breaking in their own league seasons for this tournament. Here's how the format's going to go. The MLS Cup winner and a representative from Liga MX will get buys into the round of 32. They will not play the group stage. The Liga MX representative will be the Apertura or Clausura 2022 champion that has more points over both seasons in 2022. Then you're going to have 15 groups of three. The top two teams from each group will advance. Every team will play two group stage games. All of the matches will be hosted by MLS teams. All right. The groups are going to be divided into four regions geographically. What those regions are, I don't know. Probably <laughs> east, west, north, south, compass points, something like that. Um, the top 15 teams from both leagues will be seeded. So the number one MLS team will be placed into a group, and the number 15 League MX team will be placed into that group, and then on down the list. So number two from MLS is paired with number 14 from League MX, three with 13, so on and so forth, all the way to 15. After you do that, so you have two teams in each group, you still have 13 teams from MLS that are left over and two teams from League MX that are left over. Those teams will be placed or drawn into groups. The wording's a little unclear geographically. So you will have 13 groups with two MLS teams and one League MX team. And you'll have two groups with two League MX teams and one MLS team. Still with me here, Paul? Kind of. Okay. Those seedings are going to be based, the top 15 is going to be based on the 2022 Supporter Shield standings for MLS and the overall 2022 point totals for Apertura and Clausura in League MX. All right. So there we go. Told you how they were paired. Uh, the seeded MLS teams, so the, the, the higher ranked MLS teams, will host both of their group stage games. The lower seeded MLS team will host their one group stage game. They'll play at the MLS team that's in their group, and they'll host the League MX team. The two groups where they're going to have League MX versus League MX group stage matches, they're going to be played at, I don't know, venues TBD, maybe Vegas. Go crazy. I don't know. Just, you know, Red Bull Arena. They'll be like NYCFC. It's like it's TBD and it just ends up being Red Bull Arena. And then, Paul, so the knockout rounds are a fixed bracket, no reseeding. Um, the top three finishers get CCL bids. And then here is my favorite part. There are no ties. None. Every group stage match will go to penalty kicks if it ends in a draw. <laughs> Straight to PKs. No extra time. The winner of penalties will get two points. The loser of penalties will get one point. Obviously, if you win a game in normal time, you get three. So there you go. League's Cup. You know, I think the league just loves that concept. Like, like league, like yeah. league decision. No, no ties. Like the league decision. Like because they did that in MLS Next Pro too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're they, I mean, they, they did just it back in that. the back in the original days of MLS. They love that. They love that concept. Bring back the original days of MLS, one small step at a time. Yeah, I mean, why not? Be different. If you can't be the best, be weird. Yeah. And that's what that's what League's Cup will be. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be a little weird. But yeah. It'll be fun. Maybe. I'm just excited for Montreal versus Mazatlan. Yeah, for that's, sure. Me too. That's still going to be the best matchup in the league. By the way, shout out to Montreal. They're doing a great job up there too this season. Um, Paul, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, close out with some more USMNT talk. I'm probably going to yell a little bit. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We're going to close this week's show with some U.S. men's national team talk. Paul, we talked about this a little bit in our show from Spain. I think that was last week. Was that last week? That feels like a lifetime ago. I don't remember when it was. <laughs> he says completely <laughs> defeated. <laughs> definitely. definitely anyway, defeated. The, the September window obviously uh, did not go well for the U.S. men's national team. A little bit of a disaster, you could say. I think. Um, and that disaster got a lot of people upset, Paul. Um, a lot of people on the internet are, are, are howling, or screaming and shouting about the system of play and Greg Berhalter not getting enough out of this team and the talent on this team because his system does not match the player pool. Um, nowhere in any of these discussions, of which there have been many, does anyone ever suggest an alternative system? This got me a little bothered. I was like, if you're going to hate on it, suggest something better. No one could do it. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this exercise, Sam. And let's find out what we can find out. I wrote a big story on it. It hasn't been published yet as we are recording this. Hopefully it'll go soon. Um, obviously other news took priority this week, rightfully so. Um, but Paul, it's my conclusion that the system, quote unquote, that Burhalter has sort of laid out is fine. It's not the problem. It's just that like, this is not an amazing team. It's not super duper talented. They're young and they're playing at big clubs and that's exciting. But if you look at the overall World Cup, they're probably right in the middle of the pack and expectations should reflect as much. You get out of the group. Good job. Well done. Don't get embarrassed in the round of 16. If you don't, that's disappointing. How disappointing? Depends on how badly you don't get out of the group. Um, but that's sort of where I'm landing. I think this makes sense, and I think what Berhalter is trying to do makes sense for the group of players. Um, I can get more into that in a second, but that's my broad take on this subject. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, I think there is a there is an overestimation of where the player pool, the individual players are in this pool right now in, in this moment of their careers. They are very talented young players. They are very young players. They still can, most of them cannot consistently start at the clubs where they are. Some, when you look at where they're starting, you know, the, these aren't giant clubs. They aren't players that are measuring up to the, the best of the best in a tournament like the World Cup. So I think we can start there and just kind of recalibrate expectations based on youth, based on consistency the, the fact that this portion of your career you are going to go through ups and downs and we're seeing it almost across the board with players Yunus Musa last season was playing on the right side of a midfield and not starting every game now he is a central midfielder and he's starting more consistently that's because he's 19 years old and he was 18 last year and you're going to go through these different changes Serginio Dest has been up and down at different clubs Christian Pulisic is probably the most well-documented of his ups and downs Weston McKinney, go go down the list. It, Tyler Adams didn't play last year at Leipzig. Now he's playing for Leeds. So this is not abnormal. It's not something like we're trying to like knock them down a peg. It's just where they are in their career. We fully expect it to be different in four years when they're in the prime of their career. You you hope speak for yourself. You hope that there is more consistency. Where the levels fall, we don't know yet but that there's a consistency to them as players that things develops. will have smoothed out. Yeah. It was just yeah. that happens in your career, you know, ideally. Um, 
And as far as the system, I mean, I've been on the record. I, I think people give me a hard time. Like, I, I feel like this this way that they play is is pro is the best way that they are structured to play. This that I think that people talk about Burhalter's system as it as if we're still in 2019. We yeah. are not. Yeah. Um, this system under Burhalter has be, been much much different since he settled on the midfield trio of Adams, McKenney, and Musa. There is far less structure to the system now than there used to be. There is a lot more room built in for those three players to be a little bit more chaotic in midfield. And I think that sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't. I also think that it has create the, the problems at the number nine have really, really hurt all the other pieces around it. Because yeah. when you go into a game, for example, like Japan and you have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna and Jesus Ferreira, what what do you lose? Well, you lose people running in behind the the, the lines, people are checking into the same spaces. Like fair. you can't play those three together. Yeah. And and so there I think there are certainly personnel, we know that there are personnel questions at certain positions. And I think that's hurt the decision to play the four three three, specifically the number nine. But I don't know that there are better solutions out there. You know, going to a two man front line doesn't really work. Going to a three man back line, in my opinion, doesn't really work. And and you you go over this a lot in your piece. I just think that of the options, this is the best one for this group. But not having like a true number nine who who is dynamic, who can be vertical, who can get in behind the lines, who can produce goals regularly, just crushes the system because a four three three needs right a, a, a top number nine. And that's why I was disappointed, Sergeant, to get more run in September and why Vasquez wasn't called up um, for those reasons. I, this is not to say I agree with everything Greg Berhalter has done. Certainly not. Um, but, Paul, I'm going to try and just rat-a-tat-tat this. We'll see how, I, how fast I can go. Quick analysis of the player pool. Your center backs, not tested against top-tier strikers um, for the most part, and for the most part, limited in possession. Um, Tim Ream, I think, should be a part of the pool. He has not been. Um, John Brooks, that's been well-documented. He's certainly not a part of the pool at this stage. Um, perhaps he could have added some value at some point, but he had a bad year last year with Wolfsburg. So I think that's important to say too. your outside backs, Anthony Robinson on the left, I think steady, consistent, you know, exactly what you're going to get from him. Incredible athlete will get forward, solid defender, Sergio Dest on the right. Excellent with the ball, fantastically skilled, uh, sometimes not so reliable in defense. I think it's fair to say your midfielders, McKenney, Musa, Adams, Adams, defensive beast. Decent progressing the ball, but not great when he's on the turn trying to distribute forward. Musa, incredible dribbling out of pressure, breaking the press by carrying forward. Um, McKenney, when he is engaged, can be great. We saw it in the Mexico game at home in Cincinnati when he kind of dominated that match. He was secure on the ball. He was good in possession. That's not his normal. He's better when he's higher up the field and has fewer responsibilities and build up, and he can make a direct attacking runs, arrive in the box, and kind of create chaos and try and turn teams over. Basically, the role he plays with Juventus. Wingers, best position on the team. Christian Pulisic, he's been dropping too deep, taking himself out of the matches because he hasn't been getting the ball in space enough where he can face goal and run at defenders. Tim Weah, I'm a huge fan of his. Strikers, you just talked about it. Not great. Um, given all of that, I think the way you want to set up, take those three midfielders that you have, all of whom are physical, all of whom can press, all of whom are good athletes. Let them try and physically dominate the midfield. You can try and press high with the rest of the group. When you win the ball, try and get it fast, 
to the wingers, play quickly and vertically, run your attack through them. I think that's how Berhalter has mainly tried to set up since 2019, man. And like, yeah, I would change things about this 4-3-3. I would drop Musa deeper so Adams can have some assistance and build out. And the center backs who struggle with their short passing and breaking lines have another outlet that they can find. But Berhalter did that in June. And I think he would have done it again in September had Musa been healthy. And I think that's what he'll do in the World Cup, assuming those pieces are there. Um, so we'll see. But, I mean, you see it's kind of fragile, right? If you take out some key pieces, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Um, we saw that in September. Um, and hopefully we won't have to see it in November. Hopefully the guys are healthy and those aren't headaches that they'll have to deal with. So we'll see, man. I think if he plays that single pivot in Qatar and they struggle and they bomb out, then there's going to be real questions for Berhalter, and rightfully so. Yeah, it's a good piece. I think people should read it when it's out. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of WhatsApp discussions I was, uh, around the piece. Yeah, let me just pull back the curtain here. And I know our producer, Mike, is going to be mad at me because this show's already too long. But I got home from Europe, and unfortunately, my wife had COVID. And so I stayed in a hotel in New York for a couple of nights. And I was just by myself, not really doing anything. And I was talking with Paul and a couple of friends of ours and colleagues, guys that really know what they're talking about with this stuff. And like, I was thinking about this for like 36 straight hours. It was like, you know, completely obsessed, like hair looking frazzled. I should have had like the cork board with the strings. Like that's sort of what it felt like. So, yeah, yeah this piece was written on the window, like a beautiful mind, basically, of a, of yeah. a Marriott in Brooklyn. Um, so definitely a go check field, it out. A Fairfield Inn and Suites, okay? <laughs> definitely check it out. Um, all right, man. Well, this has been, there's been a lot in this show. Um, thank you all for listening. Hopefully it was informative and enjoyable. And I don't know if enjoyable is the right word for this show. But you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm Sam, he's Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder. Until next time. <laughs>